welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is October the 9th, 2019, and I'm coming to you from Taipei, Taiwan. Well, recently, I had the opportunity to sit down with Todd Chipman. Todd is a professor at Midwestern Seminary, but he's also the author of the book that was released this summer, Until Every Child is Home. And so I know that you will enjoy this interview from Todd to learn more about his book, to learn more about the great resource that this book is for both adopted families as well as for church leaders who want to get their churches engaged in orphan care. But talking about those resources, we are also very proud this week to announce that we are finally able to tell you that Image Bears, the book that our team has been working on and the resource for the church to talk about how to be not just pro-birth, but to be pro-life, will be released at this time next week. And so a week from today, we will actually be able to release the book Image Bears. And so if you would like a copy of this book, to buy a copy of this book, we pray that you would uh, go to lifelinechild.org backslash image bears and not just buy a copy for yourself, but also get some copies for your church or, or to let us know of a church that needs a copy of this book. You see, being pro-life and bringing justice to those in need are not mutually exclusive. In fact, being pro-life, we love, we serve, and we fight for those who are made in God's image. From the pre-born to those who are struggling under oppression and injustice, to those who are nearing the end of life. This is why we wrote the book entitled Image Bears, which is available for purchase next week, exactly a week from today. My prayer is that this book can help us understand what it truly means to be pro-life and how we can live with that conviction in the world today. Again, you can purchase the book by going to lifelinechild.org backslash image bears. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash image bears. Well, it's my honor to have Todd Chipman here on the Defender podcast. And uh, Todd is the assistant professor of biblical studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he is also a teaching pastor at the Masters Community Church uh, in Kansas City, Kansas, and he has been there since 2000. He is the author of several books, including Scripture Storyline, a Biblical the- the- Theological Commentary, Uh, as well as a brand new book that has just recently been released, Until Every Child is Home, which is really a a biblical analysis of of the orphan care crisis and adoption uh, set to the tune of how can we equip churches and, and, and why, not only how, but why should the church be involved and how can we equip churches. And so Todd and his wife Julie have Uh, five children that came into their home uh, through birth, and then they also have two uh, daughters that came on their home uh, through adoption and uh, on National Adoption Day 2016. So, Todd, I'm first and foremost just grateful for you and your publisher sending us this book. Uh, I know that uh, you and Dr. Rick have definitely uh, met many times, but just grateful to have you on the Defender podcast uh, can you, I, I mean, I know that I read this biography, but will you just give us a little bit more in-depth and tell us who is Todd Chipman? Yeah, Harry, a pleasure to be on with your listeners here and appreciate your work. Uh, we were just talking offline before we started here and points of contact relationally. And when we get together, folks who are in this kind of work, it, it does feel like family. 
Uh, just today, I had a coffee appointment with a, a pastor in town who's leading his church to take in kids and never met him personally, but within half an hour, I felt like uh, the most important things in our lives we shared together. And I appreciate that in you all's ministry. My story, uh, th- this book and the emphasis of foster care adoption in my life right now sort of begins when I was born. Uh, I am adopted. Uh, I was the product of a a one-night stand uh, from Mm -hmm. some teenagers, uh, uh, February uh, 1971. Uh, My biological parents met at a party, and all that I know of my biological history is on a two-page letter from Nebraska Children's Home, where I was uh, adopted from that agency. Uh, My biological mother found out after that event that she was expecting me, and uh, she didn't have a great home. Her parents uh, kicked her out of the home. They did not accept what had happened. And in the Lord's providence, I was born 500 days before Roe v. Wade. Uh, and if, <laughs> if it was 500-ish days later, uh, there's a chance we wouldn't have this conversation. Uh, it's just a sad reality. Uh, a girl who is kicked out of her home because she finds out she's pregnant in the early 1970s. If there's an option to abort, she's certainly going to think about that. And uh, in God's providence, uh, my biological mother boarded with a family in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, it was a physician, actually. And uh, he took her in until I was born. And after that, I don't know anything else. I'm grateful for her choice. Uh, Maybe she's listening today. I've I've done a few radio interviews and I always say that. Maybe she's listening today. I'm thankful for that that decision. And the Lord brought me into a a loving family. Uh, I I was adopted uh, the day before Halloween 1971. So I always told my parents, you knew what you were getting into here. So if I had bad behavior, you know, just look at the day you got me, the gotcha day. Uh, but the Lord was kind, and uh, my parents are great. I never struggled with it, Herbie. I know a lot of, of your listeners and supporters know the trauma that kids endure when they find out they're adopted or they begin to think and process in their later childhood years and teen years. But for me, it was never an issue. And uh, so I knew in the back of my mind it was something that, that I could perhaps do someday. So that's a lot of my story and the Lord's kindness to me in college and saving me as a college student and uh, giving me a vision for uh, what he has done for me. I want him to do for others. And the adoption that he has given to me doubly, I certainly want uh, kids to know Jesus Christ, not just to have good families. Yeah, and, and I think even as you talk about, man, those high markers, watermarks in your own story, uh, talking about, you know, born 500 days before Roe v. Wade, uh, you know, your, your birth parents uh, really caught up in this whole uh, sexual revolution that was happening in the 70s that has given birth to so many different things. One of the topics that I love that you really do invest a lot in in your book is that orphan care is more than just entering into the space of taking care of a child but it's also uh especially as we equip the church to do it it's such so much more transformative than just the child that's right in front of you because 
you're 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 making a, a strong statement into race relations and and fighting sexual trafficking and and really taking a stand for the image of of God that's been placed and marked upon not just every child but their birth family and all of those in their sphere of influence and so uh, talk a little bit more just about even as you've written this book how you've been convicted to see that that really orphan care is in a sense the bullseye of the gospel-driven justice that the Lord calls us to. You said it well, Herbie. I think orphan care is strategic church ministry because it compels so many other kinds of ministries. I write uh, the book Until Every Child is Home from several different angles. I write it as someone who's adopted, someone who has adopted children, someone who's a pastor, and someone who teaches at a seminary and is a scholar in that that regard. So I look at this issue, and it brings together points from my own life, but also from the New Testament and church life. And I see this as strategic. Uh, It's not altruistic. We're not taking in these kids just for our own sake. But even in James 1.27, the clarion call, I think, in the New Testament for believers to to carry out God's heart for the orphans, the, the pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In James, there are two needy groups here. One is orphans and widows. The other is the church. Orphans and widows are recognized as needy in James 1.27. In all five chapters of James, so this is the, the New Testament teacher and the pastor speaking, if I'm just looking at the argument of James, not from a social justice perspective, not from a perspective of someone who's an adopted uh, child or an adoptive dad, but just from the New Testament, just as a pastor, James' argument is that the church is needy of opportunities to practice its faith. Mm. That's why God gives trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's that endurance, that perfection, that wholeness that God is after in his people. So he gives trials in these situations so that we have opportunities to practice our faith. That theme runs from James 1 all the way through James 5 when James brings up Job. Consider Job. Consider Elijah. Consider these who endured. Uh, Consider the, the farmer who waits for the late rains. Trust in God in these hard times and trials. God brings them so that we are maturing. And one of the ways God does that is when we stretch ourselves out to care for folks like orphans and widows. And God grows us in in that sphere. Yeah, and and really I love what you say. And and as a pastor and a theologian that that really, like you said, we, we are here to model the life of Christ. And, you know, one of the things that that we miss so much about Christ, we, we get that half uh, of James one twenty seven that's specifically the church about about purity, about holiness, right? I mean, 
seminaries, churches, at least godly biblical seminaries and churches are not going to teach that that's optional, uh, that, that we aren't to pursue being like Christ in his holiness and his sinlessness. We, we, are, we are to go and, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and uh, to make us more into the character of Christ and his holiness. But we so many times miss the justice side of Christ, that, uh, that he, was, he, was, he, was, he had compassion uh, over Jerusalem, and not just because of their sin, but because their sin had led them into such debauchery, and, 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 and the people were, were run amok, and, and there was poverty, and there was lostness, and uh, he, was, he was compassionate towards the blind and the lame. And, and one of the, the things you tackle is that caring for orphans really was a hallmark of the life of Christ. Um, and so how, what, how can and, and what can orphan care reveal to those who participate about the love and character of God? It helps us, Herbie, one, to be mindful of what God has done for us. And, and in an ironic way, uh, it helps us when we are dealing with these children and they are difficult. <laughs> when, when we're dealing with a traumatized child or we're dealing with a child who's struggling being a different race than the home that they're brought into, or we are dealing with the foster care system and all of its complexities and the relational challenges that that brings to uh, our families, what we are mindful of is that God has done for us much more than we are doing for these children. Mm-hmm. That he, in his kindness and grace, has sent his son, and his son suffered and died for us, and he loves us when we are unlovable. He, he loved us despite the physical challenges that Jesus as a human had to endure, and I'm mindful when, when I have to go the extra mile, or that's the way I feel toward my biological or my adopted kids. So I feel this way about my bio kids, too. Anyone who has a, a mixed family recognizes that, uh, you know, some days it's the bio kids who are just as <laughs> tough as the adopted kids. And uh, I recognize that with these kids whom I've adopted and chosen, my feelings to go the extra mile for them. This is how God has acted toward me in Christ. So I have a theological depth. I'm reminded of what he has done. Uh, I have my Bible open here to Deuteronomy 24. Uh, When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back and get it. It's to be left for the foreign resident, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your work, in uh, the work of your hands. Deuteronomy 24, the last verse ends with this theme in mind, and Moses writes, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. When we act this way toward kids who are in a vulnerable situation, we have an opportunity to be mindful of what God has done for us in taking us in. So we have theological depth here as we practice this, and I think that's one of the great opportunities we have. You mentioned, Herbie, that just the other opportunities that this provides the church. Uh, One is the opportunity to deal with racial issues. Uh, Just by nature of the bare facts, proportionally, there are more African-American children in the foster care system in the United States than any other race. So folks who are stepping into this will 
have an opportunity to deal with race. They'll, they'll have a greater sensitivity to their own racial uh, vision. They will have opportunities to think about uh, God's goodness to them in their uh, situation and, um, and to, to deal with uh, racial complexities and sensitivities. They'll also have an opportunity to demonstrate to the world that the gospel that carries us along is deeper than skin color even as they see our families interacting with one another and uh, and our, our, the members of our families interacting in love despite being of different races. Uh, perhaps the, the most um, compelling factor as I researched and wrote the book uh, that, that this provides the church is the opportunity to prevent sex trafficking. Mm. Uh, along the way, many authors will recognize that when they are doing research for a book, they are learning as they go. You have a book contract, you have an outline that you're going to fill in, everyone agrees to it, but you learn as you go. And for me, it was learning about the sex trafficking pipeline that uh, foster care can provide for pimps, for sex traffickers, and how they prey on kids in the system kids who are vulnerable to drugs and crime and see that as power. And these pimps play on that and get kids to do uh, just whatever they would want. And, you know, one of the things that when we hear all of this, you know, I, 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 have, I fear that the church becomes anemic to getting our hands dirty. Uh, we want to talk out about it. We want to speak about it. Um, but, but when you start talking about the idea of human trafficking, the, the dirtiness of, of the white supremacy, of, of the, the reasons that we need races to be reconciled. I, I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes our churches, first, they don't speak out about it, but even when they do speak out of it, we, uh, we're, we're anemic, like I said, to action, to actually uh, putting, letting rubber meet the road and saying, okay, we're gonna get into the messy places, we're gonna get in the dirty places, and, and, and I've found, and, 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 and I'm not pointing a, church, a, a finger at our, at our churches, at, at the family of God, which I'm a part of, as much as I am pointing a finger at myself. And if we're all honest, you know, we're all looking for a little bit of peace and a little bit of calm and a, and, and a little bit of comfort. Um, and it's not comfortable to be uh, crusading against darkness and against these places. But one of the things that you talk about, obviously, and, and it's the subtitle of the book, and I love this word, is it's not just why the church can, but why it must care for orphans. So, uh, you know, a lot of folks are talking, and, and we've got Orphan Sunday in November. You know, you guys adopted on in National Adoption Day in November. But, but why does this need to transcend just speaking or preaching, but actually that the church must care, must be engaged, must go and be intentionally involved in caring for orphans? I think the problem itself uh, presents such a challenge that we who have experienced God's grace and goodness would want to step up and, and rise to this occasion. And we must, because there are uh, needs and those needs are personal. I'll give just a couple of examples here. Just yesterday, 
my wife and I received an email. We are still, uh, we're no longer licensed foster parents, but we still get emails from the Missouri uh, foster care system um, that, that keeps us informed. And just yesterday, we got an email of kids who are coming into foster care who've been sex trafficked, yeah. siblings. And this is real. This is not something that's fiction. Uh, the the day after I received my author copies of my book from Moody Publishers, the next day I received another one of these kinds of emails that there's a girl here, she's coming into care, she's been trafficked. And so this happens. It's, it's not fiction. Um, I wrote a blog that day that, hey, my book's not fiction. Here, this really happens. Yeah. And uh, so I think as we... Uh, recognize the need that, that we would prevent a fire from happening to our neighbor's home. If we knew that there was likelihood that something in their home would catch fire, we would go and alert them to it. If we knew in advance, we would go and say, hey, this, uh, you know, get out of your house or, or this wiring is bad and you're going to need to change it for this reason. If we had a friend, even just an acquaintance, who we knew that their vehicle had a recall on it and it could be deadly if they didn't get it fixed. Well, we would go and tell them if they were not aware. The same way we would step in to help people. We can step in to help kids and change their lives. Now it is messy. It's hard. That means we're going to have to take the, the big step of welcoming children into our lives, into our homes, but that is what's needed. Uh, there are a number of ways that churches can rally together to help. Believers can offer support, and I talk about that in the book. But ultimately, kids need bedrooms. They need parents. They need homes. Um, we, we as evangelicals are often happy to do backpack drives, food drives, to to have some tangible way that makes us feel like we're really contributing. And many of those contributions are legitimate, but many uh, orphan care services have enough backpacks. They need bedrooms, they need homes. And uh, that's where the hard work comes in, but that's where we see God's faithfulness. Uh, I think the most, but that wraparound care is so important. Those who support others in a church, if one or two families in a church are stepping up to personally take children in, that provides the church so many ways to come alongside and support through meals, through money, but also through the ministry of presence and discipleship and lots of generations spending time with that family to model loving relationships over meals, over games, at a park, going out for ice cream, watching a movie together. It's these kinds of things that kids don't see so much, and we can provide that relational matrix for families who are stepping up to personally take kids into their homes. Mm. And, and I know as a pastor yourself and as a seminarian who is training and equipping the future generations of pastors through Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of the quotes that really stood out to me uh, from the book, and, and it's, it's from a, a local pastor uh, that you interviewed named Jeff, uh, and, and you had asked him, you know, who within the church should be equipped or might be equipped to take these kids in their home or to give you know, orphans a nuclear family and connect them with resources. And this was his answer 
that you that you record in the book pastors need to lead by example we have to be activists in orphan care ministry we can't just lay heavy burdens on others to do what God has called his people to do and then he said if we urge the congregation to act but we don't step out in front we are at great risk before God as well as being bad examples uh, how did that interview and that impact you even thinking about how you now equip others in your seminary class who are going to be pastors and teachers and, and, and leaders in the church, as well as the way you lead your own church. Yes, Jeff Dodge, who I interviewed for the book, uh, has a track record of helping personally taking in kids and helping others in his church uh, to, to take in kids and equip them for that. And the book originally, Herbie, was an idea primarily directed toward pastors, because as a pastor, <clears throat> I saw how helpful it was for our church, for me to foster and adopt kids. It provided uh, almost, almost instantly a level of credibility as a leader that I hadn't yet experienced. And I had been at my church for more than 10 years. Uh, a stable church, healthy, <clears throat> uh, starting to reproduce leaders, uh, great, great ministry, good relationships. But when I announced that my wife and I were going to begin foster care training with a view to adopting children, people just began to respect us so much more. They, they recognized that what we were trying to do was not just ministry that was programmatic with start and stop dates that could have nice celebrations that would be attractive and wouldn't really press us as a church, but we were going to move into boots on the ground, uh, heavy lifting for the long haul. We were going to, to try to do this kind of ministry and people began to respect me more. I saw people stepping up and doing uh, sacrificial acts of generous uh, care for my family and I, willing to pray for us, willing to go the extra mile to help us in various ways. And I saw our church come to a new level of vitality. And I, I, that's one of the stimuli for the book. I knew when I saw people stepping up to help us, that this is something that could be done in many churches and it could help them. And not just with giftings in the church, but as I mentioned also with trafficking in the culture, racial issues in the culture, and knowing God and the gospel better. <clears throat> it's these kinds of themes that really compelled me to, to write the book. And I mean, just, just in closing, Todd, I mean, obviously we know that you and, and Julie have experienced adoption. So many uh, that you, well, well, all of the folks that you interview in the book, Until Every Child is Home, are adopted parents or foster parents. But, but how about those people that are in the church who do not feel called to formal foster care or to adoption? What role can they play within their local church, within the church body, to be obedient to James 1.27, uh, even when they don't feel like they're at a place or their family is at a place where they can foster or adopt? Herbie, what you are stating right there, I think, is a key to the church engaging this problem uh, more fully and more faithfully for the long haul. 
there are uh, several specific ways, and I'll begin to list them. First is financially. It does cost some families to adopt. Now, not always, but it may require some bedroom furniture. Maybe something needs to be adjusted in that family's home if they own it. Uh, perhaps there are vehicle uh, requirements that might need to be met. The church can step up that way. And I think many believers would be willing to make a contribution through their church to help families like that. And so that's, that's one way. Another way is the ministry of presence. So it's not just provision, but presence. And this is where the fellowship of the church can be so helpful. I noted already that what kids who are coming into our homes need is a visual representation of relationships that are characterized by godly living. Well, that relational matrix that can be modeled is various generations spending time together, eating, playing, working. So this ministry of presence, a church can organize a schedule such that Monday afternoon, uh, X person comes over to the house to hang out. Wednesday morning, this person comes over. Thursday afternoon, it's this person. Friday night, it's this person. Maybe it's a church's small group that coordinates this and does the primary or the, the bulk of the, the connections here. But this relational matrix can include multiple generations. I, I've talked with so many uh, older adults who are grandparent kind of figures for foster kids or kids who are adopted, and they provide a, such a stabilizing force. I write about this in the book, that grandparents are the key. Mm. If you can get grandparent, aunt, uncle kinds of figures, uh, parent listener who is thinking of fostering or adopting, if you can get someone to support you who is 15 years older than you, someone who is about your age and have them in your home multiple times a week, hanging out, eating together, doing projects and having the kids along, playing, going to the park, going to go shopping, whatever it would be, just normal activities. Those children will see adults relating in loving gospel-centered ways, and they will feel secure over time. They may feel threatened at first. Keep doing it. Uh, they'll over time feel secure, and they'll see how to live out the faith commitments that you're teaching them. So it's this ministry of provision, but presence. And presence, Herbie, may be the most important uh, aspect that, that a, uh, a family can enjoy in terms of, of wraparound care. But provision, presence, and, and prayer. The, the fact that, that my wife and I could text multiple people in our church when we were having hard times, when there were traumatic days in the transition period for our girls, and have instant prayer support. We literally saw God's Spirit come upon our girls a few times and change their demeanor, change the situation, help us to be calm, help us to be stable for them. Um, the power of God's people praying is, is often overlooked. And sometimes, Herbie, our churches don't pray with a, a great sense of urgency because we're not desperate. 
But when you have uh, a, a connection of prayer with some families fostering or adopting, and you know that they are right in the thick of it, you are ready to stop what you're doing and pray that God would help, would intervene, would glorify himself in those situations. And he does. He is jealous for these orphans, and he is jealous for families that care for them and churches that step up to partner in it. So provision, presence, and prayer. And these are keys to families fostering or adopting. Oh, that's great. And Todd, I I know that uh, many times, you know, we talk about here, not everyone is called to adopt or foster, but everyone is called to do something. And what a what a great way just to, to put those three P's out there to say, this is what we can do to defend the followers, to wrap around families, and to be a part of this whole idea of every child having a home, which, which as we know, uh, is, this, is God made children for families. He didn't make them for institutions. He didn't make them for the street. He didn't make them for poverty. He made them for families. And, and even when we don't have the capacity uh, we know that there's something that we have been called to do. So, Todd, I, 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 I want to recommend, obviously, your book to pastors, as you said it was written towards, but I also want to uh, I I recommend it to lay people who uh, can be encouraged through the stories that you tell, through the way that you interweave uh, real narrative with scriptural basis and really a scriptural study. Uh, how can people get a copy of Until Every Child is Home in their hands? They can go to Amazon. It's there. You can get your local bookstore. Uh, Barnes and Noble carries it uh, and can order it for you if that's your nearest outlet or Books a Million, whatever your local bookstore is, or contact Moody Publishers on their website. You can order there as well. And I do include in the book uh, the the questions for discussion and thought it can be used for a small group curriculum for uh for small groups and uh i I think that would be a helpful use also well todd thank you and and of course always amazon.com uh in 2019 you can always go there but do look for todd's book again it's until every child is home and uh Our guest has been Todd Chipman, and be sure to look for that book on Amazon.com. Well, Todd, we're grateful that you joined us. And again, we would encourage folks to go look for Todd's book, Until Every Child is Home. My pleasure, Herbie. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.